we do ask that tonight that you would just teach us and that once again our hearts would be teachable and open to you always. When, whenever we go through a book or a chapter that we're familiar with, a story that we've read many times, maybe even since childhood. And Father, I pray that as we go through this chapter that again we would be encouraged, that we would be blessed, that we would once again know how it is that we can experience victory in our lives particularly when we come up against walls, when we do battle against the enemy, how it is that we can enter into the fullness of your blessings and, Lord, the fullness of that abundant life that you have for us. So, Father, again, may we be attentive to you. May we be ones that are taught by you, by your Spirit right now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The book of Joshua, as we're going through this book again, of course, is showing us some very important principles and lessons about how we can enter into the land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, how we can possess what God has for us. And the Lord desires for us to have that fullness of his blessing and victory in our Christian lives. And that's what Joshua is is showing us as, of course, they spent the previous generation 40 years out in the wilderness. So as we went through those books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, one of the major lessons that we saw in that is that we can experience a Christian life to where there's barrenness and there's dryness and, and there's um, just seems like there's defeat because of unbelief, because of disobedience, because of hardness of heart. And that's what the previous generation would uh, have a reaction towards God, and, and that's the way that they lived out there in the wilderness. They were in rebellion against the Lord. They didn't believe his promise that he was going to bring them into the promised land. Uh, They said, we're going to die out here in the wilderness. And because of continued murmuring and complaining and continued uh, unbelief and hardness of heart, they were unthankful to the Lord. They were responding by saying, God's going to kill us, and he hates us. When the Lord was saying to them, I love you, and I'm carrying you in my arms through this wilderness. And and I gave you a promise that I'm going to take you into the promised land, and you're going to defeat the Canaanites that are there. And so because of their continued disobedience and unbelief, that generation died out there in the wilderness. And so now this generation has come, and as we saw last week, have crossed the Jordan River, finally, finally, after 400 years of being in Egypt. And some of that time was spent being in bondage to the Egyptians and being slaves. They would come out. They spent 40 years out in the wilderness. And what an exciting time it was for them. As we read last week, we covered three chapters, chapters 3 through 5, as we saw that they came to the Jordan River. And there's so many principles that are here in the book of Joshua that I hope that you are taking time to jot these things down or jot in your Bible some notes how it is that we can experience that abundant life that the Lord has for us. Again, the fullness of his blessings and how we can possess what it is that the Lord has for us. And I believe that the Lord desires for us to have that victorious Christian living for all of us. And the lessons are here for us, just as they're going to have victory against the enemy and they're going to have victory uh, against the giants and the, and the challenges and uh, Jericho that you and I, can, we can learn some very important lessons and application is to be made for us today. I don't want to spend my life out in the wilderness with the wilderness experience because of unbelief, hardness of heart, disobedience, murmuring and complaining all the time. 
but to understand that the Lord desires to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask and think, that his word is true. And Joshua, you be strong of good courage. You're going to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And the reason that they could be of good courage, that they could be strong, is because the Lord promised that he would be with them. I'll never leave you. And so there's the promise of his presence, the promise he'll never leave them. Joshua, you want to be successful and prosperous? Chapter 1 again then you meditate on the Word of God day and night. And I'm going to remind you of this over and over again, but it's really hard to, to be established in the promises of God if you don't know what those promises are. So Joshua, you be one that you meditate on God's Word day and night, and you'll be successful and prosperous. And that's why it's important that we go through the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, and how, how I hope and pray that as you're going through all of God's Word, that principles and truths and, and his commandments and, and, and all these things are coming out and just growing you. And, and you're learning how it is that God wants you to live in every area of your life. How you can experience that abundant life that he has for you and for me. How to, to come into the fullness of what he has and to be established in his promises that God's word is true. So Joshua, if you want to know what my promises are, then you stand and you meditate on the Word of God day and night. Know that God's Word is true. That's really essential for us as Christians. I hope that none of us in this room say, well, I think the Bible's true, or some of it may be true, that from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, that, Lord, that all of your Word is true, that the Word of God, that it is inspired by you, God breathed, and is profitable for correction, for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction for you and for me, and that it is given to us so that we can know about the character of God, the salvation of the Lord, and then how it is that we can live for the Lord in our own lives. So first of all, you've got to believe God's word. And so we've been seeing these principles as we've been going through, very important for us to understand. We saw the beautiful picture of redemption in Rahab in chapter 2. And then last week as we went through chapters 3 through 5, we saw how it was that the children of Israel would come to the border of uh, the, the land of Canaan. They came to the Jordan River, and the Jordan River was in its flood stage, and there was water everywhere, and so the Lord had the priests, as we saw, step into the Jordan River, and, and then the river would stop its flow. It would heap up, up to the north, and they would cross on dry land. They were not crossing in the mud and in the muck, but they would draw, uh, cross there at the Jordan River, um, on dry land, just as it was similar 40 years before that, when they crossed over the Red Sea, when God parted the Red Sea, and again, they crossed on dry land. So they, they go across, and then the priests step out of the uh, river, and then the waters recede back. And now they're finally in the promised land. And it's a step of faith that they're taking as they stepped out of that river, because ahead is going to be the battles. And ahead is going to be Jericho, the first city that they're going to have to go up against. And Jericho, as we read in chapter 6, now Jericho was securely shut up because the children of Israel, none went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands, its king, and the mighty men of valor. So Jericho is going to be their first battle. And as we saw again last week as well, very important principle that I want to remind you of, that as they came across the Jordan River, they would camp, and then they would go and set up at Gilgal. That's going to be their base of operation 
as they're making conquest in the land, as they're taking the land. Gilgal, they're in the Jordan Valley, not far from Jericho. And we also saw that they would take the stones out of the river, one man from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, take them over and put them to the place that they would camp that night. And it would be a memorial for their children, for them as well. And when their children asked, why are those stones there? To remind them how good and faithful the Lord has been. And a key for you and for me is to remember the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord. I mean, he's brought us out of Egypt, hasn't he? He has saved us. He's forgiven us. His promises are true. So always have a heart of gratitude, remembering what God has done in your life and making you a new creation. And we're going to see as we go through the Old Testament, when you get to that time when they're rebelling against the Lord, it's the Lord's plea. Remember what I have done and bring you out of Egypt. Remember how I brought you into the land. Remember how I drove out the inhabitants. Remember how I blessed you. But they would forget. So the Lord wanted them to remember his goodness and his faithfulness and, and that his word is true and what he has done in bringing them into the promised land. You set those stones. And then that new generation, as we saw in chapter 5, was circumcised, the cutting away of the flesh, of the foreskin of the flesh there, of the males, uh, keeping of the covenant of circumcision according to Genesis chapter 17. And the reason that that generation was circumcised is because the, the new generation born out there in the wilderness never were circumcised. So they come across the Jordan River, and the Lord says that you need to circumcise the men before you go to battle. So a real important principle for you and for me, again, that I hope that, uh, that we saw and that we can apply in our lives, is that there needs to be a cutting away of the flesh before there's victory in the Spirit. And that is so true for you and for me. That these guys, that as they are circumcised, that now that they're healed up, they're going to go to war. And that circumcision was an outward sign of an inward commitment to God. Now, when you go to the New Testament, when Paul was talking to the Galatian churches, the, the Judaizers who were coming into those Gentile churches and telling the Christians that if you really want to have a right standing before God, then you have to be circumcised. And, and it was Paul that says, I marvel that you move so far away from the gospel to another which is not the gospel. So Paul makes the case in the book of Galatians how we're saved by faith alone. But Paul would also say in Galatians chapter 3 that that which has begun in the spirit don't try to perfect in the flesh. He would later on say in that epistle that if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. The key for you and for me is to surrender completely to Jesus Christ. You abide in him, you hang on to him, you look to him, you focus on him, renew your mind, as Paul would write in Romans chapter 12 and other places in the book of Philippians, and you keep focus on the things of God. You hide the word of God in your heart, but you look to him. There's so many things out there in the world that will pull us away from our closeness to the Lord and fellowship from the Lord. Too many temptations, and there's a lot of carnality out there. And so you walk in the Spirit, and the promise is this, that as you do that, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So we want to be ones that we're spiritually minded, aren't we? And we want to be ones that we are surrendered every single day of our lives to the Lord. When they came up to that Jordan River, finally, after 400 years of being in Egypt, 40 years of being out there in the wilderness, they still had to depend on the Lord to cross that river. They had to depend on him on every step that was taken. And you and I, we are to depend on the Lord every day of our lives in our journey through life 
that don't wake up and say, Lord, you know what? Today, I got it all covered. I don't need you. I hope none of us would do that. But Lord, I need you today, directing me and guiding me and whatever it is that I'm going to face today. So chapter 6, now they're going to go against Jericho, as I read to you. Jericho was a mighty city at that time. Again, it's there on the west side of the the Jordan Valley. And the ancient cities at that time, of course, had walls around them with gates. And the walls would protect them from the, the enemy that would come and attack. And what they would do is they would seal those gates. Usually the gates would be open during the day as people would come in and out. And then at night they would seal those gates. And those gates being sealed would protect them. There would be watchmen up on the wall. They would look out and they would see if the enemy was coming. They could look a long ways uh, as they looked across the Jordan Valley. And can you imagine those those watchmen, they're looking across there and they see this huge group of people, about two to three million of them, crossing that Jordan River. So they know that there's going to be a battle. They know that they're coming. They have heard what the children of Israel did in utterly destroying King Og and Shihon on the east side of the Jordan River. We already saw that in Joshua chapter 2. Rahab, she would give that uh, confession of faith as she said, I know that your God is truly God and that he's given you this land. Uh, We've heard about what he did to the Egyptians and what he did to the kings of the Amorites on the east side. And so they know that the children of Israel are coming. So it's, it's locked down. No one goes in, no one goes out. Now they believe, as archaeologists have dug in that area, you can, if you go to Jericho today, and if you go with us to Israel, we don't go to Jericho today because it's under the authority of the Palestinian authorities. And the reason is, is because um, what you have to do is you have to get off an Israeli bus, get on a Palestinian bus, and the security and all of that is really uh, tedious and it's a long time um, to go see a couple sites. Even in Bethlehem, most people don't go to Bethlehem because it's under the authority of the Palestinians. And so you have to switch buses, you have to go through security. And if any of you have been to Israel, you know how long that takes. Particularly when you come back from the other side into Israel once again. So you spend a lot of time doing that. So we don't go to Jericho anymore. I've been to Jericho before, before all of that was taking place. And it's um, there in the desert. Um, there are a lot of palm trees. Some of the best fruit in the world is there in Jericho. But Jericho is a little bit out of the way from where this Jericho was and where they've excavated. And as the archaeologists have gone in and excavated it, you can see it as you, if you ever go to that site that it shows that there was a double wall, they believe. The, the outside wall was about 6 feet thick and 30 feet high, and then the inner wall was believed to be about 12 feet thick and 30 feet high. So they had not only one wall, but they had two walls around the city. And the gates are sealed up. And don't think that the men of Jericho were, you know, afraid or wimpy or anything like that. Here it tells us in ch- verse 2 that they were mighty men of valor. So they're going to be willing to fight. And so it's shut down knowing that the children of Israel are going to come. So verse 3, as now God tells Joshua how it is that the, the city is going to be defeated. He's already told Joshua, I have, in verse 1, uh, or verse 2, given Jericho into your hand. I'm going to defeat them. I'm going to do this work. We know that Joshua didn't fight against Jericho, but he faithed it. He trusted God that God was going to defeat Jericho, and this is how it's going to be done, verse 3. 
You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. And so here, as we know, Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that by faith the walls of Jericho fell down as after they encircled the city for seven days. So here's the instructions given to them. For six days what you're going to do is you're going to have the Levites carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the priests, seven of them with seven ram's horns. They're going to be blowing the, the uh, ram's horns. And you're going to take the man of war. And so uh, here it says that it's going to be the men of war that are going to go with them. And, um, and they're going to surround the city. Actually, they're going to circle around the city once, and you're going to do this for six days. Now, the reason I mention in verse 3, you men of war are going to go, because oftentimes I'll see pictures of women carrying the little babies and things like that around the walls of Jericho. It's the priests and the men of war is what we see here is being told. So they're going to go around the city, and then they're going to leave, and then they'll come back the next day, and then they'll go around the city once, and they'll leave. They'll do that for six days. On the seventh day, they're going to circle around the city seven times. The priests are going to blow those, those horns and give them a signal. Joshua is going to give the word. They will shout, and the walls will come tumbling down. Now, this is going to take faith, isn't it? Can you imagine as they came across the Jordan River there? And they know that now it's time for battle. It's time for war. And Jericho's the first city. It's a mighty city. Its walls are 30 feet high. It's double walls. They got men of valor that are going to fight us. Lord, how is it that you're going to defeat them? And I'm sure they're probably thinking, is it going to be fire and brimstone? You know, is it going to be an earthquake that's going to destroy the city? Is it going to be lightning bolts? Whatever it might be. At least that's the way I would think. And, and here, Joshua gets the word that this is how it's going to be done. That it's going to be marching around the city for six days once and then on seventh day, seven times, and give a shout and the walls are going to come down. God is showing them that he works differently in the different battles. And that's what we're going to see as we go through the book of Joshua. Next city that they will go up against is Ai. They're going to have a setback in chapter 7. Then chapter 8, they'll defeat the city of Ai. But God's going to work differently in giving them instructions concerning how they defeat that city of Ai. God was working differently here than maybe what they expected or what they thought. God was working mightily in their lives right now. And so it was important for them to be sensitive to hearing from the Lord. The thing is this. That when you and I go up against Jericho's or in the battles in our own lives, God will work differently in different battles. I mean, his truth and his application is true for us in those situations. But how God specifically works, sometimes he'll work different in this battle than he will in that battle. We can't assume, and they weren't to assume, okay, Jericho, we marched around the city six times, seven days, seven times, we shot and the walls came down. So that's the way it's going to work for the next city. We're going to go there, march around the city. No, the next city, God's going to work in a different way. And many of you, as you've journeyed through life and in your Christian life, you have found this to be true, haven't you? That the Lord works differently at different times, and, and he will work in that way, I think, 
to show us that he is powerful, he is mighty, he's in control, but to make sure that we're going to him, to seek him. And I know every single day, Lord, I know that you might want to work differently in this situation. I want to be sensitive to hearing from you. Each and every day as I go out to do battle, and all of us do battle, it's a spiritual battle that's out there. And Lord, I want to be sensitive to your leading. And I want to hear your voice. And that's what Joshua is hearing here. Joshua, this is how it's going to work. And next time, when you go up against Ai, this is how it's going to work. And when they go up against the kings of the Canaanites, this is what I want you to do. We see that in David's life oftentimes, don't we? We see that David would go to battle against the Philistines. David, this is what you do and, and at this time of the day. And then David would come back to the Lord and say, Lord, do you want us the next day to do the same thing? And the Lord said, no. This time you don't move until you hear the sound of the wind in the trees. And you see, we need to be sensitive every day to hearing what the Lord might have for us and how he wants to lead us because he does work differently in the different situations that we face. But here's the other things. I can imagine, too, that here are Joshua's generals, that they're making plans and they're thinking, okay, how are we going to defeat the city? And Joshua comes in and he says to them, you know what, God has told me how it is that we're going to defeat Jericho. And they said, good, what's the plan? We're going to march around the city, not say a word. The priests are going to blow the ram's horns. We're going to leave, and we'll do this for six days, once around the city, seventh day, we'll give a shout, and the walls will come tumbling down. And you know what? They didn't say, what? Well, that's not, you know, going to work. They didn't try to manipulate the plan. They didn't try to, you know, excuse it. They didn't say, well, why don't we make that plan B? We got a better plan. Joshua has been established as a leader here. And the Lord said, Joshua, I'm going to make you known amongst your people that you are leading. When I dry up that Jordan River, they're going to know that I am with you and my hand is upon you. And so they're trusting Joshua is hearing from the Lord. And so they're saying, okay, Joshua, if this is what the Lord has said, that this is what we're going to do, march around the city, then this is what we're going to do. And they put their pins aside and their plans, and they say we're going to submit to what God has for us. I think there's something important for us in that because, you know, in our homes, you who are parents or husbands, as God has ordained you to be the leader of your home, that as you are seeking God and looking to his word, and I hope that you are, because that's what Joshua was doing, that as you come to your family, to your children, and you say, I believe the Lord is leading us in this way, then there is to be that trust and say, okay, Lord, you know what? We're going to trust that you're speaking to my husband. We're going to trust that you're speaking to mom and dad. When it comes to the leadership in the church, even. And I take that very seriously, the responsibility that we have. That's why I covet your prayers that please pray for us, that we're hearing from the Lord, that, that we're seeking the Lord and how we are to direct you know, um, and, and lead in the church and in the direction that we are to go and the decisions that need to be made. That I pray that you trust in us that we are hearing from the Lord and that we give you reason to trust us. But here these guys come to the point of, okay, Lord, you've ordained Joshua to be the leader. And he's heard from you, and we're going to trust in that. 
And I know it took a lot of faith for my wife, Sue, when I went to her and said, you know what, we're going to leave everything here in Colorado Springs, and we're going to go up to Greeley, and we're just going to start a church. We're going to start a Bible study in our home. We didn't know what was going to happen. She said, okay, if that's what God is telling you to do, I'm going to trust in that, and let's go. And that's how it works in our lives at times. The key is, though, that those of us who have been called to lead, you better be hearing from the Lord and sensitive to the leading of the Lord in hearing His voice. The best that you can be sensitive. doesn't mean that husbands and wives can't pray together and make decisions together. There's a lot of decisions, most of the decisions Sue and I make together. And you will find oftentimes that as he's leading your husband, that oftentimes he'll confirm it in your heart as well. But there are those times where the Lord will speak to whoever it is, moms and dads or husbands or leadership of the church, and there comes a decision whether you're going to say, okay, you know what, Lord, this is what you're speaking to them. They've been seeking you, and we're going to trust in that. So they had to follow along with the plan, and so they would have to be led by faith as well in what God was telling them. So here's Jericho, this stronghold, walls and gates and mighty man of valor, and they're going to see that God's going to bring it all down and defeat Jericho by simply just following the plan that God has given to them. Now it reminds me so much of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. When Paul was talking about spiritual warfare to the Corinthian church, he said something very important that I hope that we understand. He said, though we walk um, in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Understand this, that our battles, the spiritual warfare that we battle not against flesh. Now the flesh will battle against us, yeah, and rear up its ugly head, certainly. And there are strongholds that are in our lives, and there may be a stronghold that is in your life tonight, that has a grip on you tonight. Maybe it's an attitude of heart. Maybe it's some sin. Maybe it's some carnality. Whatever it might be, doubt, fear, that's in your life. It's a stronghold that's in your life. And know this, know this, that this is a powerful illustration of what we're seeing here in Joshua chapter 6 and what Paul's talking to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And that is, they heard the voice of the Lord and they didn't sit there and say, well, that's ridiculous. How's God going to work walking around the city Look at these walls. And we're just going to walk around for six days and then go back and then the seventh day give a shout and the walls are going to come down. They said, no, we've heard what God has said. He's given us the instructions. We've heard the word of the Lord and these strongholds are going to go down. They didn't argue against it. They didn't exalt themselves and say, okay, we got a better plan and our plan is better than God's plan. And so that's what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. He says, our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty in, in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. In other words, our spiritual battle that we do, the strongholds that have a grip on us, we can say, Lord, you know what? You can pull down these strongholds. 
And this is what your word and your promise says. By faith, believe in God's word and his promises. That, Lord, you are big enough to pull these strongholds down these walls, these barriers that I seem to be coming against all the times, and you don't argue with them. You don't say, well, Lord, you can't help me. You can't free me from this. You don't exalt yourself. You don't argue. But every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Lord, this is what your word says. This is what your promise is. This is your instruction given to me. And Lord, I'm going to hold every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Lord, you help me. You help me. Because victory isn't going to come by the flesh. It's going to come by faith. And the Lord desires to pull down those strongholds that have a grip on you. Will you believe that? Do you believe that? The Lord, this stronghold that has been holding me for so long, I believe you're powerful enough to pull it down. And I believe it by faith, and I believe it by your word. So verse 6, Then Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. Why the Ark of the Covenant here? You know, why is it being used with the priests and they're going to be the men before the ark and then the rear guard behind. I think just to let them know, the people know that God is in the midst of them, that God is with them. And so verse 8, so it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And then our men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout nor make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout. Then you shall shout. In verse 11, So he had the ark of the Lord circle the city, going around at once, and they came to the camp and lodged in the camp. And so we see that that's what they did. They would circle around the city as Joshua gives some instructions. He says, don't um, you know, speak a word until the seventh day. When I tell you to shout, then you're going to shout. He didn't deviate from the plan. He didn't add to the plan. But he gave the plan to the people straight up. Listen, another important principle, I believe. When you talk to people about what God has instructed us and told us in his word, don't deviate from it. Joshua didn't come and say, okay, we're going to walk around, but, you know, I think we need to fire a few arrows over the walls or, you know, we need to, you know, start shouting some things at them or you know, we need to, you know, whatever it is. He didn't deviate from the plan. He said, this is what God has told us. I'm not apologizing for it. I'm not making excuses for it. I'm not adding to it, subtracting to it. This is God's plan. And when you give the word of God to people, don't add to it, don't subtract to it, don't make excuses for it, don't apologize for it. You give them what God has to say. And you do it with gentleness and with love. And you let the Word of God work in their lives and convict them and bring correction and instruction to them. But don't deviate from it. And so in verse 12, Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went out continually and blew with the trumpets. 
And the armed men went before them, but the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. So again, can you imagine the guys of Jericho? Here's a mighty man of Jericho, and they're up there on the walls. And see, they made the walls where they were wide enough to where you can stand on them. And they're out there looking, and they see, okay, here comes the children of Israel. Here they come, and they're coming. They're going to attack right here. And, and pretty soon, they start walking around. So they're kind of over here now watching them, and then they're over here watching them, and then over here they're going to attack over on this side, and then all of a sudden they leave and they go back to camp. Now you know that they had a meeting that night, didn't they, in Jericho. And they had that meeting, and they're going to king. What was that all about? Well, they must be kind of looking for weak points, and maybe we need to make this point more sturdy. And then the second day here, they come again. This time, surely they're going to attack. And they come around, they march around the city, and these guys up there on the wall are following them and everything, and all of a sudden they leave and go back to camp today. And then they do a third day, then a fourth day. I, I imagine, what was the reaction, the men of Jericho, on the sixth day? I just wonder if they didn't even put down their cards they were playing. You know, oh, here they come again. Same thing. After six days, there they go. Hello, you know. Or maybe they were on the walls, and probably, chances are, the, the men of Jericho were saying, what is up with these guys? Maybe mocking them. Yelling at them, hey, what are you guys doing? You can't get to us, and all of this. I, I don't know what it was, but I will say this. That the world is, you are doing what God has told you to do, and God's ways are not the world's ways. And as we've been talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, moving into chapter 2, that God's wisdom is not the same as the world's wisdom, because God's wisdom is mightier and stronger and more powerful than man's wisdom. And so God does things differently. He says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And the world will begin to laugh. And the world will begin to mock as, as you're waiting for the Lord to work. And as you're living for the Lord and as you're journeying in the way that God wants you to. You see, there's a couple things here about the children of Israel marching around that city for six days once. It took real courage for them to do that. And the reason that it took courage for them to do that is because they were vulnerable to attack and, and Jericho attacking from that high position. I think that as they marched around the city, not only did it took courage, but it took real consistency and persistence on behalf of the men that were going to war. You know, they didn't after three days going, oh man, we got to get up and make a hike over to Jericho and do this again. Why doesn't God just take care of it and just crumble the walls right now? Let's be done with this. But they had to be persistent in doing that and being led by God. For six days you're going to do that, and then the seventh day is when you're going to see the walls come down. And they would do that trusting God, even though maybe it didn't make a whole lot of sense, at least to the men of Jericho it wouldn't have. I think it was also for preparation. Because as they marched around that wall, they saw how mighty and how tall those walls were, and that it would seem to be impossible to defeat the city. And they needed to understand that, Lord, we need you. We truly need you. So not only courage and consistency or being persistent and 
just preparation for them, but also it provided a witness. Because for six days, the people of Jericho had a chance to repent. And it was Rahab that said in chapter 2 that the people of Jericho were faint-hearted because they had heard what God had done to the kings of the Amorites on the east side, to the Egyptians. And I think we see God's mercy in this, that they had a chance for six days as they saw the children of Israel, uh-oh, we're in big trouble and we need to repent. You and I, as we journey in our Christian lives, and as we come against the Jerichos of our lives, it takes real courage for you and I to be a Christian today. And I hope that you understand that and realize that. It takes real courage to stand for righteousness and to stand for the truth of God's Word today. And there's a lot of people out there that would want you to compromise or to... um, you know, no longer stand on the truth of God's word. But for the one who says, you know what? I believe God's word, and I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm not going to compromise my ways. It takes real courage. And I believe that as we get closer to the return of the Lord, it's going to take even more and more courage. Because the world is going to mock you. And the enemy is going to continue to fight hard against you. We saw courage yesterday down at a junior high school, didn't we, a middle school, with the teacher jumping on a shooter. And we can be thankful that there's a man that was willing to risk his life and there are teachers in a place in a school like that that were willing to risk his life for the students. That took real courage for him to do that, didn't it? There was a moment where he had a decision to make whether to react, run, or whether he was going to do something. And he chose to tackle that gunman and tackle him to the ground. And we're very thankful for him. And I know the parents have to be, I can't imagine how they are so grateful for what that man did in risking his life. And I want to say this that there are going to be situations spiritually as we journey through life that you're going to make a decision, okay, am I going to run away from the truth or am I going to tackle it? Tackle this situation with the truth of God's word and a commitment to the Lord. And I'm not going to back away. And I think that most of us, if not all of us, are going to be called to that more and more. It's going to take real courage in the days in which we're living to be a committed Christian. Second of all, if you really want to have victory in seeing those strongholds being pulled down in your life, it takes persistence or consistency in your walk. And I think one of the reasons why Christians find themselves being weak today is because they get all fired up, they get committed for a short time, but after a while, they start to become lazy, lethargic. You know what, these guys after day three could have said, can't we just sleep in you know, some? Can't we just skip today, you know? And that can happen real easy in our Christian lives. And I'll tell you the truth on this. The ones who see real victory in their lives, who are strong in the Lord, are the ones who have consistency, who are persistent in day by day walking for the Lord. And saying, Lord, today I'm going to get up and have my devotions. I want to hear your voice today. I'm going to be committed to you today. I'm going to live for you today. 
And I am so thankful when we go through those seasons where we stray off that we can come back to the Lord and he's there with open arms and there's forgiveness and restoration. Of course there is. But you live in consistency in taking in the word of God and living the word of God in your life and looking to the cross and living the cross and looking to the Lord and whatever he's doing and trusting in him day by day, week by week, month by month, year after year after year, till the Lord takes you home. And that's where you're going to experience real victory spiritually in your life. Also, as we go through those difficult times and we're marching around looking at those barriers, not only taking real courage and being a Christian today and being persistent, preparation, realization. And I know that there have been times in my life and there's been barriers and I thought, Lord, how is this going to work? Which brings me to a total dependency on Him. And just as the children of Israel are totally depending on the Lord for these walls to come down, you depend on the Lord to work in your life. Whatever it is that you're looking at and you're saying, no way, Lord, that I can do this. You know what? That's not a bad place to be. It's a good place to be. Because now they get to see what the Lord's going to do. And you get to see what God's going to do in your life and bringing down those strongholds. Lord, I can't, I can't do this on my own. And that's what surrender means. Lord, I can't do it in the flesh. In my flesh is no good thing. And Lord, you do the work by your Holy Spirit. And whatever it is, the challenges that you're facing, the barriers that you're facing, coming against the strongholds that may have a grip on your life. And then as you're living in courage and as you're consistent in your walk, as you're allowing the Lord to work, then it's going to be a witness to others. And it's going to be a testimony to others. So here they walked for six days in verse 15, but it came to pass on the seventh day. They rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day, only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priest blew the trumpets that Joshua said to people, Shout, for the Lord has given us this city. So the seventh day, you know, isn't it interesting? Think about this. They marched around for seven days, which means what? They marched on the Sabbath day. What does that mean? I'm not sure exactly. But I just thought I'd bring that point out. I was thinking about that. They marched for seven days. Remember that it was in the Old Testament. We saw over and over again, do not work on the Sabbath day, that you are to rest. It is the, days, uh, it is the Lord's day. And here they marched for seven days. Now, I'm not saying that this day is the Sabbath day. It could be. But they would march on the Sabbath day. So what does it mean? Perhaps the Lord is showing them that it's His work. And you're going to rest in His work. And we know that we can rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. He's our Sabbath rest. So they would march around on the seventh day. And so the city walls would come down of Jericho in verse 17. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are within 
with her in the house because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Now, remember verse 18. Keep that in mind for next week. Do not take the accursed things, that is the idols. If you do, you're going to trouble the camp because what we're going to see that's going to play here in chapter 7 um, that's going to bring trouble to the camp because somebody did that and went against what verse 18 They're also being instructed about Rahab. Remember that Rahab was told that put out the scarlet thread and we're going to know that that's where you live and so you're going to be protected. That scarlet thread, a symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ. You shall be saved. But also it's going to be pretty obvious because think about this. Rahab lived in that house that was what? On the wall. So everything came crumbling down except for her house. Which again symbolizes that God saved her. So it's going to be pretty obvious when things come crashing down that, hey, there's one little section that's standing. There's the scarlet thread. And there's Rahab. So we read in verse 19, but all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So God gets the first fruits, remember, when they come into the land, that he gets the first fruits. The spoils after this are going to go to the children of Israel. But the Lord says, as far as the gold and silver, you know, and iron and, and all of that, that's going to go to the Lord. In verse 20, so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. And then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. They utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. But Joshua has said to the two men who spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as she swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in, brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives, left them outside the camp of Israel. And so Rahab would be saved, all that were in the house. Remember the spies said, you bring in your, you know, whoever. If anybody's outside, then you know what? They're not going to be spared. So they had decisions to make, Rahab's mother and um, as well as uh, her brothers and those who were in the house. They had to make a decision. You know what? We believe what you're saying, Rahab, and we're going to stay here and we're going to be protected by the scarlet thread. They could have said, ah, we don't buy that. We're going to go outside and we're going to fight those guys. But they believe they would come in faith. And I want to leave this with you tonight. Rahab here, the influence in bringing salvation to her family, to her loved ones, you as well. The Lord desires to use you to be a witness, the influence, and to bring that hope, that message of salvation to your household to bring God's grace to your family, how you can have influence and how you have the good news of the gospel that you can give. Because God's judgment is going to come. And God is going to judge sin. And it's going to be thorough and it's going to be complete. Nothing was spared. Except for those who are in the house with the scarlet cord. And sin is going to be judged, and the world's going to be judged, except for those who have come to Jesus Christ and put their faith and trust in Him and what He has done in shedding His blood for us.
And that's good news. And that's His work that He's done in our lives. And we can rejoice in that. Verse 24, But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire, only the silver and golden vessels of bronze and iron. They put in the treasury the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab, the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers from Joshua sent out to spy Jericho. Remember I told you, she's mentioned in the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 of Jesus. She is, Rahab would be, the great-great-grandmother of David, the king of Israel. In verse 26, And Joshua charged them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, with his youngest he shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the country. Kind of a little side note there. Jericho would be built, but it was built somewhere else, away from this Jericho. So this curse is put on this Jericho. Anybody tries to rebuild around this wall, the foundations of it. And in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34, that was fulfilled. There was a man named Halhel of Bethel who tried to do that, rebuild Jericho, and it cost him his life of his sons. So again, God's word is true. And that fulfillment would come to pass 500 years later after Joshua said that that's what would happen. I pray that tonight that we saw some things in here that will help us and bless us in the Jerichos and the walls that we face and moving out by faith. And Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this chapter. And all that is here. And I just pray that tonight as we just spend some time worshiping you. Father, I pray that if there are strongholds in our lives, that we wouldn't argue against what your word says and your promises. We wouldn't try to exalt our own know-how and all of this above what the word of God says. But we would submit and hold every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And that tonight, if there's anything that you're dealing with us, that we would right now surrender to you to understand that that's your desire. That's what you want to do. To surrender completely our hearts to you and knowing that you desire to do a work of the Spirit. That we wouldn't walk after the flesh or try to perfect what has begun in the Spirit by the flesh. But Lord, we, we look to you by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, that we would just by faith say, yes, Lord, I believe that you want to do this and that you can do this. Father, bless your people right now. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the work of redemption in our lives and that we can walk by faith knowing that you're with us, your word is true, and Lord, that you desire to give us victory in our lives. So bless everyone here as we just begin to focus on you again for a few minutes. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.